listening to First Church Charlotte. All right, I have some mother wisdom for you mothers. When you have your first baby, you begin wearing maternity clothes as soon as your OBGYN confirms you're pregnant. On your second baby, you wear your regular clothes as long as possible. On your third baby, your maternity clothes are your regular clothes. (laughs) On your first baby, you pour over baby name books and you practice pronouncing and writing combinations of all your favorite names. On your second baby, someone has to name or his someone has to name his or her kid after your great aunt, right? So you do that. On your third baby, you open a book, close your eyes, put a finger down, and that's the kid's name. Uh, when you're preparing for your first baby, you practice breathing religiously. On your second baby, you don't bother practicing because you remember the last time breathing didn't do a thing. On your third baby, you ask for an epidural in your eighth month. Your first baby... the first sign of distress, every whimper, every frown, you pick baby up. On your second baby, you pick baby up when his or her wells threaten to wake your firstborn baby. On your third baby, you teach your three-year-old how to rewind the mechanical swing. (laughs) On your first baby, you leave your baby with a sitter and you call home five times when you go out on your date night. On your second baby, before you walk out the door, you check and make sure they have your number where you can be reached. On your third baby, you say, if it's if the kid's not bleeding, don't call. And so, um, as you might guess, I am my mother's third baby. Love you, mom. So, uh, yeah, there is so much fun uh, baby stuff and, 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 and jokes and uh, all that kind of stuff out there. My favorite, my favorite little joke um, is this mother uh, getting her uh, little girl dressed and uh, she, her little girl's looking at her and uh, she says, Mommy, I, I see you have a few gray hairs. How do you get gray hairs? And her mommy deciding to use this as a great leverage moment. Nobody does leverage better than mom, just so you know. This leverage moment, she says, Honey, every time you backtalk me or every time you do something bad, I get a gray hair. The little girl said, Poor grandma, you must have been awful. The thing about motherhood is you should have known it wasn't going to be easy when they started out with something called labor. Shouting to make your kids obey is like using the horn to steer your car. And there's more, but I'll stop. Praise the Lord, everybody. All right, so I am preaching from the story in Mark chapter number two. For time's sake, we won't necessarily read all the passages. We'll refer to it as we go through. But let me remind you of the story. Mark chapter number two, Jesus has come to a city and he's teaching and it's noised abroad and the house fills up with people. Everybody's excited. Jesus is known as a great healer. How many of you would like to have a great healer in your life? 
Jesus is known as a great, great healer. It's a wonderful thing. And so uh, he's in the house, and the house fills up with important personages, and uh, there's no place to come. And there's this one guy who is paralyzed, and he he calls up his friends, and he's like, I, I need a favor. Please help me, friend. And he is blessed because he has good friends. Some of you guys need better friends than what you have. Good friends are a great blessing. Uh, and so the first level of friendship is when you say, hey, will you take me to the faith healing convention so I can be healed? Somebody say level number one. That's the first level of friendship. People's like, yeah, sure, I'll take you. You're my friend, I'll take you. So it's friends take them there, but when they get there, uh, there's no way to get in the house. There's a line, the Bible says, going out the door. Uh, the, 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 lev- the second level of friendship is people who will wait in a line for you. Now, it starts spinning out the herd right there. Lots of people will help you if it doesn't like take a lot of time, but once it starts taking a lot of time, you know what I'm talking about, the, the herd starts thinning. And then there's the third level of friendship. This is the friend that everybody needs. This is the guy who will help you bury the body. The third level of friendship is the guy you call up and say, hey, we need to go do property damage together so I can meet the preacher. And these friends are like, oh, sure, I'm totally in for some random vandalization so you can get a miracle. This is the kind of friends this guy has. His four friends don't just take him to where Jesus is teaching. They don't just look at the line and not get discouraged when he says, hey, guys, let's go through the roof. They're all like, well, there's an idea. And then they proceed to climb up there, bust a hole in the roof, and then call down and haul him up and drop him through the roof. Now, what's amazing about this is they could not break the roof at the same time they held the stretcher. I've tried that. It's not to be recommended. That's how I spent my first seven years in prison. Uh, (laughs) If you try to hold a stretcher, just kidding, obviously, and break through the roof, you don't get through the roof, nor do you hold the stretcher. You drop them both and you fall through the roof. You have to bust the roof open and then haul the guy up there. Think what good friends these are. They're like, sure, we may be prosecuted, totally worth it. We may make people angry, totally worth it. We may destroy somebody who we don't really know's house, totally worth it. Now that's a friend. Touch your neighbor and say, are you a friend like that? You have permission to say absolutely not. (laughs) So we love this story. I love preaching from the story of them tearing open the roof. I love it. And they let this man who is sick with the palsy, the Bible tells us, he is, uh, he's, he's unable to walk, hence the stretcher. If he could walk, there would be no need for a stretcher, right? Uh, he is losing his ability to control his body through this progressive disease uh, known as palsy. And uh, they bring him in. I love this story. I've I preached a lot of different ways. I've, uh, I, I preached years ago. I preached using the symbols of the, 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 the numbers themselves. I had fun with this. And you got to be careful with numbers in the Bible. You don't want to try to do theology from numbers, but it's fun to see the symbolism of numbers. And in the, in the Bible, four always is representative of the earth or the world. So there's the four corners of the world, speaking poetically. There's the four winds of the world. There's the four geo, geological directions or whatever, geographical directions.
directions of north, south, east, and west. Four always represents the world, and one in the scripture is always symbolic of the only true God. He who is mighty, he who is glorious, he who created all. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And so I had a lot of fun preaching for the world's always going to let you down, but one God is always going to pick you up. Preach that for a while. Another fun way to preach it uh, is just to be to, to do the whole obstacle approach. And you get up and you say you have obstacles in your life, and the, the preacher's always right. You know you have obstacles in your life. But enough about your mother-in-law. It's Mother's Day, and so <laughs> that's funny. I don't care what y'all say. So um, you 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 see this obstacles in the way, and you've got to break through those obstacles, and and you think those obstacles are a big deal until you make up in your mind they're not going to stop you. The roof seems like a big deal until you decide it's not going to stop me. And then you realize you can break through it a lot easier than you think you can. So it is in our lives. We all of us have obstacles. Somebody say, that's me. Thank you kindly. You all have obstacles. If you allow yourself to be impressed by your obstacles, you will always quit before you receive your miracle. Rather than staring at your obstacle, you need to stare at the one who can heal you, and you need to remind yourself how much you need healing. Don't let an obstacle keep you out of the house of the Lord. I said, don't let an obstacle keep you out of a relationship with God. You must press through the obstacles in your life. They're always going to be there. Man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. I hate that scripture. It's too close to the truth. You understand what I mean. Life is full of trouble. Don't let setbacks keep you from a relationship with God. So you lost your job. It'll be better with you on your knees than it'll be with you mad at God. So you have trouble in your family. It'll be better with you in an altar than it will be with you getting mad at God. So you're having health problems. He's a healer! And it'll be better with you calling upon the name of the Lord. So I, I, I preached it that way. But I, the, as I was thinking about this passage, I, I got to thinking about palsy. And palsy is such a, an interesting um, category, really kind of a grouping of diseases. And we don't use the word palsy as much. We still have a few diseases that we classify with that word. Like, for example, Bell's palsy is one of them. Uh, but really, for most of history, uh, this word is used primarily as a grouping of a progressive Aggressive degenerative disease where a person begins to lose motor function in their body. It's this progressive uh, disease, and there's many different types of diseases that fall under this category of diseases, but it, it has to do uh, with this. Uh, many times uh, you begin with losing your, 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 your motor function, you'll begin to shake. Now, uh, my whole life I've had what's called essential tremors, and that means I, I shake a lot, and uh, people seem me shake, and uh, I just tell them I'm really, really afraid of my wife, and they get that. They they understand that, and um, uh, it runs in my family. Uh, my brother has it. My sister has it. We all shake, uh, but it doesn't. It doesn't progress into uh, a disease. It's just we're just a shaky bunch, and so um, uh, I understand the frustration with that. If my sugar is low or uh, something like that, my hands will shake much worse. Or if my wife or my mom is mad at me, I'm just a gibbering mess. But uh, it, it 
progresses. Uh, it's not just an essential tremor uh, in the cases of, of, of palsy. It, it progresses and they begin to lose a major motor function. First you lose fine motor function, then your macro motor function. And it gets to a point where you become paralyzed. You literally cannot move. It may be progressive. Uh, it may be your whole body, but you become paralyzed. Horrible way, horrible way to live. And uh, that's even with all of the modern um, helps and, and, and medicines and um, equipment and care. Uh, in, in, in times past, it was much harsher than that. You literally, uh, you depended on other people to live. If you did not have someone to take care of you, there was no uh, national Medicare system or that you would be given care through the state. You literally, if you had no one to care for you, you died. And it was a terrible situation to live in. But what's interesting to me about palsy is it's always a connection problem. Not always. There are, I don't want to speak too broadly. I'm not a medical person, but um, it's a very often it's a communication problem in many types of palsy. Uh, the hand itself, the muscles, the, 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 the ligaments, the structure of the hand is just fine. That's not the problem. The problem is in the connection system, the nervous system that connects that physical hand to the mind that would direct it. It's not necessarily the arm that has the problem. It is in the nervous system that would transmit the will of the mind through the nervous system to the hand that is structurally capable of movement. It is a connection problem. It is a limitation of the signal, the, the, the electrical signal that is a part of all of us through the body to the hand and allowing that hand to move. And this connection problem has, has a particular, a particular mer- uh, uh, insight to it because what Jesus does first to this man after they break open the roof, after they lower this man down in front of Jesus, Jesus says something to him which is a perfect signifier of an eternal connection problem. Jesus says to this man, your sins are forgiven. You see, sin is a connection problem. It was through sin that we lost our first estate and were removed from the presence of God. Yes, Adam and Eve did not choose the tree of life. There was a tree of life in that garden, but they chose rather the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Isn't it interesting that in God's garden, there is no tree of death. There's only a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but when you partake of that, and there's a whole, there's some depths here that I don't have time for today. When you partake of that, it as it is as though you are now limited, and further, you are separated, and you no longer walk in the presence of God with connection. You have been separated from the presence of God. That is what sin does to every one of us. Sin separates us from the presence of God. It is much easier for a child child to have a sense of God in their life. It is easier for a child to have faith, true heaven-moving 
faith. It is because of their innocence. It's because of their openness. It is because of their ability simply to believe. But as life, as life piles pain after pain upon us and uh, weight after weight upon us and disappointment and cynicism and struggle and loss and chronic stress and chronic pain and chronic disappointment, we get more and more spiritually brittle. Come on, let me preach to somebody here today. We get more and more spiritually brittle. It gets to a point where we have to find a moment in our life where we can sense the presence of God, where once it was easy and once it was joyous and once there was a sense of of hope and love, life hardens us and makes us brittle and makes us callous and it gets more and more difficult for us to regain that faith of a child. Sin has hardened us and sin has distanced us and sin has placed a middle wall of partition between us and the presence of God. We must break this wall down or we're never going to know him in love. We're never going to know him in relationship. We're never going to know him in hope and promise and joy and song and testimony and life. We will only be left with the law that points out what we should have done but what we couldn't do. And so Jesus says to this man, this man of palsy. Now let me let me make clear here. Jesus does not believe the man is sick because he's a sinner. Jesus addresses that issue in several places when the other people, the Pharisees and the, the scribes, they decide someone is sick because of a sin and they want to figure out who is the big disappointment. Well, I've already explained that to you. It's always the third child. That's the big disappointment. Somebody is the big disappointment, and that's why you're sick. Jesus said, you don't understand these things. Not That's not how it works. And so Jesus clearly is not saying to this man, the reason why you are sick is because you're a sinner. If Jesus was going to believe that, he would be contradicting himself in other passages. But Jesus thinks there are some connection problems that are more difficult than others. Oh, you didn't hear me when I said that. There are some miracles you need more than others. I'm glad when God touched your sick body, but it was a greater work when he died that you might be washed, cleansed, and renewed from your sins. It was a great work when God brought you out of that sick bed, but it was a greater work when he washed your sins away. It was a wonderful day when you stood up in new hope and life and joy, but it was a greater day when Jesus gave you his covering of righteousness. And so he says to the man, your sins are forgiven. That's the real connection problem. Sins must be washed away or there is no approach to the glory and the hope of God. You know why you ought to have boldness when you come into the presence of God? This isn't my theory. This is the author of the book of Hebrews. You know why you need to have boldness when you come into the presence of God? Because your sins have been washed away. There is no more separation. You now have a right to cry, Abba, Father, and speak with hope and faith. It's going to be all right. Why is it going to be all right? Because my sins have been washed away. I have access to God. 
that's the real connection problem. And there's a secondary connection problem, and that's the physical, the symbolic uh, limitation of leprosy in this man's body. And Jesus says to the crowd that's there, many of them critical types, he says, look, what's easier for me to say? Your sins are forgiven, or rise, take up your bed and walk. But so you will know that I am he. I say to this man, rise, take up your bed and walk. It's always been a connection problem. And the Lord brings healing to this man as the testimony, not just that he's a healer, not just that he's a great teacher, but that he is the son of God who takes away the sins of the world. We all of us need connection. Isn't it interesting that even in the harshest environments of the human uh, civil society, which would be our prison systems and the harshest environments, and uh, you know, we something about American culture, we love to lock people up. We lock more people up than most of the nations that we say aren't free. It's really amazing. I know we want to be law and order types, but when you look at the two comparisons, you're just like, holy moly, we lock up more people than China does. But anyway, moving along, don't be acting crazy. They will lock your hut up. They are not playing. That's why you should do right, live right, et cetera, et cetera, because they will lock you up. <laughs> America, we do not care. We will lock you up. <laughs> and so, I forgot what I was preaching about. I was totally distracted off that. And so, and so um, uh, you, you, I, I totally lost that line of thought. So we're just going to start on a completely new line here. Okay, y'all work with me on that. And so uh, here you see this, 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 this deliverance of sin, this, this brought, bringing out of that state of separation. And we have this hope, as it were, in the presence of God through the work of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is speaking to all of these people. And he's showing at his, his forgiveness of this man's sin. They're shocked by it, of course. And so they're, they're, they're critical of that. And Jesus heals the man to show the real connection problem. The real connection problem is not simply physical, which he can heal. But we must be fixed. Our sin problem must be addressed. We must have our sins washed away. Now, uh, let me just point out here uh, that in our respective lives, it's usually, it's usually our mothers who are the great family connectors. Our mothers are the connectors. Let me just give you some uh, wisdom. Uh, your brother will cut you off in a hot second. He totally does not care. Your sister was never really interested in you anyway. But your mama will move heaven and earth to try to get her babies together. Your mama will. Your brother would be like, ah, what's up? I don't want to see you anymore. Your sister would be like, hmm. And your mom's like, oh, baby. You know I'm talking the truth to you. Mothers are the great connectors, and they bring us together. I heard one mother say, you know, money isn't everything, but it's sure awesome to keep the kids in touch. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. Took you a moment there to get that one, that sister. I'm glad you pulled it off there at the last moment. Praise God. <laughs> You'll be driving home, Jeff, and she's going to bust out laughing. Ah, I got it. <laughs> Sorry, Lisa, I'm picking on you. <laughs> Mothers bring us together. I want to point out something to you. The Lord gave you the church as a mechanism to get you connected. 
Now, I know you can talk bad about the church. I know you can say, you know, so-and-so does this and -and so-and-so does that. The truth is, so-and-so does do that, but it's none of your business. So what are you worrying about it for? You can point out how people are hypocrites. You can point out how nobody loves you, everybody hates you, blah, blah, blah. You can go through the whole thing. But let me tell you, the church is God's plan for you to have connection. This is Paul's point. This is Paul's point when he writes to the church at Corinth. And he says, look, um, uh, the body is fitly joined together. When he says body, he's talking about the church. He's talking about flawed people like me and you. He's not talking about the perfect son of God. He's talking about the church. And it is fitly joined together. It is it is placed together. And Paul says this, the hand cannot say to the arm, I have no need of you. The body is that through which we are connected to the head. And when we become disconnected from the body, it is as though we are living with an acceptance of spiritual palsy in our life. There is a connection problem. Your gifts will never be as valuable just in your hands as they will be when you join them together with a group of believers and you let your gifts work in concert with the rest of the body. I'm here to tell you, God gave us the church not to wash our sins away. Only God can do that. He did not give you the church as a picture of perfection. There's not a perfect church in the world. And if there was, as soon as any of us joined it, it would no longer be perfect. You've heard that before. It's a profound realization. The church is not given for your perfection. It's given for your connection. said it's given for your connection. This is why the writer can say we overcome first of all through God's work. What is that? Through the blood of the lamb. Nobody can do for me what God can do for me. He's the only one that can wash away my sin. He's the only one who can give me new hope, new joy, spiritual renewal. Only God can do that. Are you hearing me what I'm saying? That's the blood of the lamb. But there's more than just that. There is also the word of my testimony. I need somebody who weeps when I weep. I need somebody who rejoices when I rejoice. I need somebody who checks on me when I've been missing too much church. I think I'm preaching a little bit better than you're responding. You need somebody to check on you when you've been missing church. You need someone with whom you can share your story. Your story's powerful. You need a place where you can get back up again. You need people who will show up when you're spiritually paralyzed and they'll carry you to Jesus. The church is the connection. It is the connector that brings you back into fellowship, brings you back into grace. It's your brothers and sisters, imperfect though they are, who loves you and speaks hope to you and speaks faith to you. Don't get into the habit of always beating up on any church. Don't get into the habit of pointing out people and they're not good at this, they're not good at that. Get in the habit of saying somehow God is going to bring all of us together in some way that is 
miraculous. And God is going to use us to do a work none of us could do individually. None of us could do it individually. I want you to see this. I, I, let me give you a, a personal example. And, and uh, as many of you know, my, my father had a, a, a procedure here recently. I didn't get your permission to do this, so you can be mad at me later. Today's Mother's Day, not Father's Day, so you can be mad if you want to. And besides, I'll leave on vacation tomorrow, and I'm already checked out on the inside. I'm just, I'm just up here going through the motions. On the inside, I'm on the plane, you know. So my dad recently had a procedure, and, and the doctor came out, and they, they, they did the stent. They did the heart cath, and, uh, and everything was good. And, and, uh, but they had to put in another stent. I mean, everything's good now, but they put in another stent. And the doctor came out, and he drew us this picture. And I, I wish I had a t- copy of this picture. I'd put it up on the screens. And, and he, it was a picture of a heart, okay? And then he's showing us the various veins over here. And this vein feeds here, and, and, and this is okay. And this one feeds here, and this is okay. And, and the main vein here, there's a stent here and a stent here, but it was clogged in the middle, so we put a stent here. This is awesome. And then he drew this big arc around. I didn't know what it was doing. I was like, maybe circle here. You know, this is the heart. He drew this big circle around the side. And he said, this vein we put in when we did the surgery. He said, and he drew this big vein all the way down the bottom of the heart. He said, this vein is completely dead. And he stopped. I hate it when doctors do that. Like, if it's bad news, keep talking. <laughs> Say, you're going to die. But the good news is you can have some M&Ms before you check out. You know, don't stop on the, you know, he's, here's the, this vein is completely dead. This artery is not vein. This It's completely dead. And I like felt my stomach drop. And he said, but it's okay. He said, and the reason why it's okay, he says, is on the bottom of the heart, your heart has begun developing channels that are carrying the blood down to the bottom of the heart. And so the bottom of the heart is healthy even though this vein is completely dead. This artery is completely dead. Let me tell you, that's what the church does. It connects you. Someone needs to pray for you when you've been cut off. Someone needs to pick you up when you've fallen down. Someone needs to mother you. And the church is the great mother to the believer. The church is the great caretaker to the believer. No, the church isn't perfect and it can't die for your sins. The church can't heal you. But let me tell you what it can do. It can show up with you and wrap its arms around you and say, I'm believing. I know it's hard for you to believe right now. I'm still believing. The church can say in the middle of your trial. I know you can barely pray. I've been there. I'm praying for you. I know you can barely walk. I'm walking for you. I'm going to carry you. Not even Moses can keep his arms in the the air forever. He needs someone else to reach down and hold his arms up. That's what the church does. So Lord, heal us. Make us strong as a body of believers and connect us one to another. I'm done. Musicians, you can come. Connect us together. Connect us together. Let me let me just say to all of you who are strong in your faith, you're strong believers. Uh, I, I talk to people, not too uncommonly, and, and if they're sincere and zealous as they should be, they're, they're looking for something they can do uh, to, for the kingdom of heaven. They, they get this, they kind of get it that uh, their life really can't be uh, mainly about themselves and then them say they're part of the kingdom of heaven. They 
kind of get that. And they want to do something to help somebody. And, and, and a lot of you will stop, start asking me, you know, is there something I can do? And I'm, I, I really think about it. I, I try to start hooking it together. My Lord, the lights decided to quit church. That's okay. We'll get them connected here in just a moment, okay? And so um, uh, you, you, you see this, you see this, this, this reality. What can I do? What can I do? Let me tell you where your first ministry opportunity starts. It's spiritual connection. That's your first. Your life is filled with people. Your life is filled with people. You are their connection. Your ministry opportunities start right now in this church, right here today. There's people here you don't know very well. They're not nearly connected to the church like they should be. And if it all depends on me and Sister Charla, they're not going to get connected. There's only two of us. Your opportunity for ministry starts right here today. You can talk to them. You can tell them you're praying for them. You can invite them over for dinner or lunch. You can take them out after. You know what that is? That's ministry. That's you carrying blood to where it needs to be. That it can give life and hope. Your ministry is about connection. In fact, John, and I'm going to quit with this maybe, or I'm not going to have three more points. You just have to suffer no matter what happens. But uh, John, in his last epistles, he says this. Look, I'm glad you love God. That's awesome. That's wonderful. But I want to point out something here. Don't be saying about how much you love God if you can't love your neighbor. Don't be talking about how much you love God if you don't love your brother, if you don't love your sister. How can you say you love God whom you have never seen, John says, if you are unwilling to love the person who is right beside you? Your ministry opportunity. You don't have to pray about this one. You don't have to go on a 40-day fast. I mean, good luck with that anyway. You don't have to go through 17 conferences to get your official conference-approved ministry card. All you have to do is start connecting to somebody.
approach to God uh, and one of them is a spirit based approach to God that's what Paul's trying to get at when he says the letter killeth but the spirit giveth life if you serve God trying to be good enough to avoid hell now missing hell is a great reason okay but there's not much joy in it there's just the, the soothing of your fears. Do you see what I'm saying? It's just like a soothing of your fears. Oh, God. Oh, God. That's not what God wants from your, your life. He doesn't want you just to follow the rule. He wants it to be worship. He wants every offering in your life to be worship unto God. And if you're not doing it with joy, hope, and spiritual renewal, honey, you're doing it wrong. You need to get reconnected to the joy of God's salvation in your David 
David saying when he's disappointed the Lord and he's repenting. He's repenting. He says, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit. Against you and against you alone have I sinned. In other words, he is aware of his separation. He's aware that he's not where he should be. And he wants so much this restoration with God. You're seeing serving God as a, a packet of rules. You're missing the point, my brother, my sister. You need a restoration of joy. That's why in the New Testament, uh, the style of worship is patterned after the tabernacle of David. What did David do? David taught prissy, proper religious people how to bust a move. Now, you think I'm making this up? or at least part of the worship so bad that when they're bringing the, the Ark of the Covenant back to the house of, of, of Jerusalem, he, he borrows a linen ephod. I know some people say he's out there flashing the crowd, but they're crazy. He wasn't like totally naked. He had on a linen ephod. He just didn't have on, you know, you know. nowadays we have streakers like at the big sporting events. They come running by there. They're like, really? Did your mother not love you? It's Mother's Day for the love of God. They're like flashing somebody. I mean, what are you trying to get a date? I, I don't understand. I mean, anybody that's out there, ooh, can I have his number? Well, whatever. Anyway, David's not out there running around naked. He's got on the robes of a priest, and he's praising God, and he's dancing. He's dancing. We used to sing this song way back in the day. Some of you guys remember it, and I want you to help me to sing it. It goes like this. Some of you guys. I'm sorry, mom. I know you're embarrassed. 
Um, so, but um, the point is this: dancing is just joy in body language. Now, if you go to the club, dancing isn't joy in body language. It's like, please, somebody take my phone number. That, that, that's not joy. That's like, oh my God, please, I need a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Children dance in joy. They're not trying to be anything. They're just dancing. My point is not to try to make you act like a children. You guys are all good looking. You're all fancied up. You look glorious. I love you. God bless you. But that's not my point. My point is to transmit to you the idea of joy in serving God. Joy in worshiping God. When the Spirit of the Lord moves in Lord, I pray you would be with your people. I pray you would bless them. I pray you would protect them. I pray you would bless all of our wonderful mothers. They deserve more honor than we give them one day of the year. But Lord, I pray your blessing upon them. I pray they would be strong. I pray they would be much loved. I pray they would be held close to you. I pray you would go with your people. I pray you would bless them. I pray you would walk with them in hope and joy. In Jesus' name. Can the church say in Jesus' name. God bless you. You're dismissed. A couple quick announcements. We, because Mother Day, we will not be having first steps today. We will, uh, Don will be kicking it back up next week. We'll be on lesson three next week. My wife and I will be gone on the next train. I'm already checked out on the inside. And uh, we love you. Thank you for letting us go. God bless you. Greet one another. Connect with somebody. Connect with somebody. And we have a baptism here in just a moment. Sister Clarissa's twin sister, Melissa, is going to be baptized right now. Jesus. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come join us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road at the corner of Shamrock Drive. Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. And Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Online, find us at firstchurchclt.com or like us on Facebook or Twitter. We hope to see you soon. Come worship with us.